Have you ever found yourself in the midst of a trial and had to acknowledge that it was the direct result of sin? Listen in today as Pastor Draper shares the biblical perspective on sin and the results it can bring in this message entitled, The Devastating Consequences of Sin. Stop piddling around talking about everybody's fault. You take responsibility. You make some adjustment and stop living out how in the hole while you're as broke as who knows who. Oh God. It's the government. It's, it's the economy. It's my environment. You just don't know how I live and where I live. Stop it. It's the spiritual leaders. It's the pastor's fault. Roast him. It's his fault. It's his fault. It's the leadership's fault. I didn't like what they were doing, so I got myself messed up. It's my circumstances. I I, I wasn't dealt this hand. I found myself in it. You, But you're there. And God is able to deliver. You see, a broken-hearted, loving father looks down the corridors of time and sees the results of our first parents' sin. And he saw down when Adam and Eve sinned, God wasn't just looking at Adam and Eve. He was looking beyond them down the corridors of time. And God saw because of our first parents' sin, sexual immorality. Down the corridors of time, he saw cheating. Because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, there came lying, stealing. Murder, rape, wars, greed, pride, revenge. Because of their sin, here comes slavery, racism, strife, broken homes, hurt, pain, and suffering, hostility, diseases, starvation. Here comes the earthquake, tornadoes, attacks by man and animals, all of which were caused by Adam and Eve's sin and rebellion, resulting in corruption and death. When God asks the question, where are you? It was a loving, broken-hearted father. His heart was broken. Parents, have your heart ever been broken because of how your children were living? And some of you said, well, I haven't been there. Pray that you never get there. There are many children who have broken their mama and daddy's heart. And here in the garden, for the first time, Adam and Eve broke daddy's heart who longed to see his children run to his arms in confession of their sins, seeking mercy, grace, seeking forgiveness, and cleansing. I just love the author, whose name is Arthur W. Pink. He says in his book, Gleaning in Genesis, and I quote, and I hope you see it on the screen, This was not the voice of the policeman, but the call of a yearning love. Dark as is the background here, it only serves more clearly to reveal the riches of God's grace. Holly favored as our first parents were, blessed with everything the heart could desire. On a single, say single, On a single restriction laced upon their liberty, 
in order to test their loyalty and fidelity to their maker, how fearful then their fault, how terrible their sin. What wonder if God had consigned them to everlasting chains under darkness? God could have done that as he did the angels when they sinned. What wonder if his wrath had instantly consumed them at that moment in time, he would have been just and right to do so. Such would have been no undue severity. It would simply have been bare justice. It was all they deserved. But no, in his infinite condescension and abundant mercy, God deigned to be the seeker and came down to Eden crying, where are you? Instead of judging them to hell, instead of striking them down, instead of wiping them out and making another man and woman, he extended mercy toward them in the marvelous question, where, Adam, are you? That was a call of mercy. That was a call of grace. That was a call of great mercy. Look at verses 14 and 15. I don't know how much further I can get. (laughs) Verses 14 and 15 is God's judgment on the serpent. Verses 14 and 15 is God's judgment on the serpent. Verse 14. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. In verse 14, God pronounces judgment upon the serpent here. The serpent who was a literal, beautiful, magnificent creature who walked upright would now be cursed above all creation and made to crawl and slither upon the ground. The phrase, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, meant that the serpent, who is Satan, would be defeated and humiliated and destined for condemnation and judgment. For in verse 15, the scripture says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In this verse, God put enmity between Satan and the woman and between his seed and her seed. There would be enmity now, struggle, hatred, and hostility between Satan and his children and God and his children. Where did it start? It started when Satan fell out of heaven, but it continued right here. In the midst of judgment, God provides in this verse hope. In the midst of judgment, God provides mercy and grace and the first declaration of a coming redeemer is introduced in this verse, verse 15. 
for God would use a woman to bring the Messiah in uh, the world, the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman is the Messiah who is what? Who is whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. Satan would bruise the heel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is to cause Christ to suffer as he fulfilled God's redemptive plan on earth. But the seed of the woman who is Jesus Christ would strike the final and fatal blow and crush the head of Satan in the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, winning complete victory over the devil. Verse 16. God's judgment on Eve. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The judgment of God upon Eve would be what? When God said in verse 16a, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In other words, and it says there, in pain you shall bring forth children. God meant that Eve's sorrow is not restricted only to childbearing. A lot of times we want to restrict it solely to childbearing, but it's greater than that. The deeper meaning of the word sorrow is that Eve's life would now be filled with trouble, now be filled with misery and pain, which should move her to call upon God and live in dependence and hope in Christ. The scripture also says in verse 16, if you look at it closely, in pain, Eve shall bring forth children. Now, some of you women ought to know about that. Be mindful that Adam and Eve knew nothing about pregnancy. Huh? It's because Adam wasn't created by Eve's pregnancy, you see. The woman initially came out of whom? Out of Adam, right. He took that rib and he made a what? Woman. That's right. So women have been coming out of, uh, people have been coming out of women, but initially woman came out of man. They had never, Adam and Eve, they had never touched a baby or even heard one cry. The pain of childbearing that Eve would one day experience is part of the judgment of sin upon Eve and did not enter the world until after the fall of woman into sin. The pain and travail of childbirth comes with severe suffering and pain that no man can fully understand. Women, you ought to be saying amen. We can't understand what y'all go through. We might be there and hold your hand and you squeezing our hand and say, honey, I'm praying and all that. You say, pray on, but I'm hurting. No man can understand what childbearing is really like. Only a woman knows what that feels like. Women, come on, say amen. We men can't understand that. Huh. Be mindful. In that time, there were no C-sections. I don't care how big that baby was. <laughs> Had to go through that same channel. That's right. Just think about it. You know, in that time, there were no epidurals. Think about it. You know, you went on hospital beds to make you comfy and sedatives and sedation. What none of that? We invite you to worship with us on Father's Day, Sunday, June 20th at 10 a.m. On this special day, our worship celebration will express gratitude 
and appreciation to all fathers and share an encouraging message from the Word of God to bless and strengthen them. Maranatha Bible Church is located at 7855 East Loop 1604 North, Converse, Texas 78109. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 21 says, A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. That woman go through all that pain and all that stuff. And uh, I remember my wife going through all them pains and all that years ago. And when that baby was put across her and she put on her glasses, I, I remember today she put on her glasses and she just looked at Andrea and she looked at, she wouldn't say, oh, you, you bought me much pain, you rascal, you, you know, she was just overjoyed that that baby, how did it look? Does it have all the fingers? Does it have all of this and of that? You just concerned about that baby just laying there? Oh, my baby, my baby. The scripture says in verse 16, that Eve would have a desire for her husband. This thing is deep. The word desire means longing and yearning. She would have a longing for him and a yearning for man. By nature, the woman longs, yearns, and desires to settle down and be with the husband normatively. She would also have a desire within her at that point when sin came in to usurp the authority of her husband. And how many women are usurping the authority of a husband buying something you weren't authorized to buy and going beyond this and done that and because I wanted to, but I make my money too. Matter of fact, I make more than you. Huh? We don't like that part. She would also have a desire to usurp her husband's authority. Sin had turned a beautiful, harmonious relationship between a husband and wife into a marriage that would now have selfishness in the relationship. There will be tension in marriage. Because of the fall, there would be strife. Because of sin, Eve would now struggle to live under the authority of her husband because the family was no longer perfect. You can't tell me what to do. I don't want to do that. Uh-uh. I'm through with it. I ain't doing it. Case closed. Now, feminists don't like these verses. That's why I know God wrote it. Now, that husband has authority, too, from God as the priest of the house. And just because he has the authority given him by God does not mean that he is a dictator and use his wife to step on and use her as a doormat. That is sinful and that is as hellish as it can be. Doesn't mean he has the last word because that woman has come into his life to complete him and to help him and to be a blessing to him. And he should value her wisdom to the glory of God as he is led by the spirit of God. So it's two sides to that. Verses 17 through 19 is God's judgment upon Adam. God's judgment upon Adam. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. You know, instead of listening to me, you listen to your wife. Instead of saying, no, Eve, I can't go there. He listened to Eve. And have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herbs of the field. In the sweat of your face, Adam, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, man. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Because Adam acted independently of God and listened and obeyed the voice of his wife, God cursed the ground resulting in Adam having to struggle to get the ground to produce and yield crops for him to eat. As a matter of fact, you can see the curse on the ground. Genesis 3.17b says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Before Adam's rebellion, work was always a pleasure and a joy. There was work before the fall. And it was pleasurable. It was joyful. And the ground yielded its fruit without Adam even breaking a sweat. Work was not labor intensive before the fall. Wow. But after the fall, say after the fall. Ooh-wee. But after the fall, work became strenuous and often filled with toil and misery, pain. You cut yourself in work. You get bruises in work, sometimes physically and emotionally. There are accidents that happen. Just imagine in Adam's work before the fall, there were no accidents. There was no thorns to even prick his finger. Think about that. Wow. Adam will now work by the sweat of his brow. He will now have muscle aches. He will now have physical exhaustion. He will now be stressed out on the job. He will now have tension and he will now have pressure. And that's why you go through that on your J-O-B. It started back here. The curse not only had an adverse effect on Adam and Eve, it greatly affected nature and all of creation. In Genesis 3, 18a, it says, look, look how it all affected creation. In Genesis 3, 18a, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth to you. Romans 8, so, so you see that the thorns and all these things, thistles coming as a result of the fall. In Romans 8, 21 through 22, it says, look at the curse on creation. In Romans 8, 21 and 22, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together. Until now, even creation itself is groaning to be restored back into its original state. Now you say, did Adam know what he was doing when he sinned? You better know he knew. He knew exactly what he was doing. Adam knew the consequences for disobeying God's instruction because he was forewarned in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He was told right there, what you better not do to that tree. Because the scripture says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Because of Adam's willful disobedience, he was sentenced to death. From this point on, Adam and Eve, along with the animal kingdom, the sea creatures, the plant life, would all experience aging. 
Adam began to age. Perhaps at this time he experienced his first wrinkle. Huh? Perhaps after this, Eve began to see some weight coming on the, in a certain place, in the thigh or somewhere else, on the hip. She said, oh, I'm getting big there, when she had perfect size and perfect figure. It's all back there. Why are y'all laughing? That's where it came from. So you can go to all the spas, you can huff and puff and all that kind of stuff. You can get lift, face lips, lip, lift. And uh, liposuction and vitamin A, B, C, D. It's going to drop and go back to the dust. Won't you save your money and tithe? <laughs> they experience aging. Because of sin, deterioration. Because of sin, corruption and decay. Until they return to the dust from which Adam had come. Which is death. The sin of Adam and Eve led to spiritual death and physical death. In other words, when they partook of the tree, they died spiritually. Aging came in at that point and they would deteriorate and decay until they would ultimately what? Die physically. Spiritual death led to physical death. For James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when Adam had then when uh, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, sin brings forth what? But thank God for Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through whom? Jesus Christ our Lord. In conclusion, listen to me well. We have the freedom to choose to yield to temptation. And give in to sin. However, the consequences of our choices are inevitable, incalculable, and totally up to God. You choose to sin, but God determines the consequences. The question is often asked when tragedies come, such as we are seeing about us today. Natural disasters, terrorism like in Boston, violence and war and conflict, strife and death. Why would a loving God allow this to happen to us? Don't you hear that question all the time? I'm giving you the answer now. You need to take this sermon and you need to package it. Because why? Where was God? Why? 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 Why death? Why terrorism? Why strife? Why so much evil? Why did this happen to me? Why did mama die leaving me with the children? Why did my husband die and now I'm struggling? The answer is that God made us free. You're listening now. God made us free. We are free volitional creatures who are able to choose to obey or disobey and rebel against God. As a result of Adam and Eve's original sin, the pattern was set and we will continue to experience tragedy and death until Christ comes again. Adam and Eve only had one bad decision to make. Only one bad decision and a plethora of good choices they could make. Yet they chose to sin against a perfect God. They chose to sin in spite of a perfect environment and they chose to sin without a sin nature. Apart from Christ, what hope do we have knowing that we have a sin nature? It is not God's fault when anything bad happens to us, stop blaming God. 
Man created the condition by sinning against God. But praise God that he provided the remedy in the Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 15, 22 says, for as in Adam, all die. When Adam fell, humanity fell. But thank God for the second Adam. So as in Christ, the second Adam, all shall be made alive. The gospel of John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The same question that God asked Adam and Eve is the question he is asking of you today. Where are you? I'm talking to you now. I'm not talking uh, rhetorically. I'm talking to you specifically. Where are you? You who are lost without a savior. You who are full of yourselves and the pleasure of this world. Where are you? You who are living in sin and rebellion against God. Where are you? You who are estranged against a holy and just God. Where are you? You who are backslidden and you use past tense verbs to describe your relationship with God now. You're backslidden. Where are you? Some of you spend all your time running from God and running from your decision to receive Christ and to get in a good Bible teaching church and you put it off as if you know tomorrow is yours. Where are you? Today, a loving Savior asked the question that was asked of Adam and Eve thousands of years ago is so prevalent today. Where are you? Instead of running from Jesus, you need to repent, change direction, and run to Jesus. You need to accept Christ as your personal Savior now. You need to embrace him now and never let him go. The harder things get, the tighter your grip on Jesus. Jesus, when you embrace him, he will love you. As a matter of fact, when you choose not to embrace him, he still loves you. Jesus, if you embrace him, will save you, forgive you. He will cleanse you and he will liberate you from your sins and its devastating consequences. I pose the question again today. Where are you? All God's children said, Amen. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching or would like to hear this message in its entirety, please visit www.maranathasa.org where you will find an archive of audio messages, service times, directions to the church, upcoming events, and much more. You can also reach us at 210-821-5683.